Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. I am your co-host, Filippo, and I'm here joined by Pete once again. And today we have, before we even start, Pete, how are you doing? I forgot to ask that. I'm doing good, man. It's USMNT game week, so we don't get these enough. You know, this is like the club for American fans, generally speaking, for most of us, right? This is the most passionate, the thing we're most passionate about. So whenever it's game week, I'm on a high, you know, who needs coffee when you've got a U.S. game week? Yeah, uh, or Red Bull, even though we can't, we're Bull. not allowed to say Red Bull, right? Because they don't sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we're talking about Rasenball, Leipzig. Yeah. So today we have interesting topics to talk about. First, we're going to go through the U.S. men's national team camp that starts this week. We play Japan on Friday and Saudi Arabia next week. We're going to try to predict Greg Berhalter's starting 11. We have some injury updates for y'all. And then after that, we're going to talk about something that's probably not as fun. Um, it's also before anyone thinks it's politicized. It's not politicized. It's about the 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 racism that happened with Vinicius Jr. in Spain the past week. It happened actually twice. And also, we're going to talk about a little bit how Europeans are slowly killing the Joga Bonito. They've been doing so for the past thirty years. We'll talk about that too. It's almost related to the topic, but not at the same time. Uh, we'll dive into that towards the end of the podcast. So if you don't want that topic, you can just not listen to it. We're going to go and talk about Greg Berhalter's predicted 11. But Pete, a couple updates right away. Um, we were already missing Tim Weah and A-Rob, which are considered key players. They weren't called in because they were injured. And then now we lost three players that were in the roster and won't be there. One is Cameron Carter-Vickers, which is probably not considered a key player, but he was definitely in the conversation for the World Cup. And then we lost two key players, Chris Richards, and Yunus Musa. And as the replacements, we brought in Mark McKenzie, um, Eric Palmer Brown, and Johnny Cardoso. So your first thoughts on those replacements? Um, yeah, I mean, not unexpected. I like the Cardoso pick. You know what I mean? I think that was a good selection from Greg. He's been playing much better in Brazil, at least according to you. I have not watched him. I've watched highlights and I've watched clips, but I haven't watched a bunch of full games. But look, Cardoso is, what's interesting is I thought he would bring in an eight, like an Eric Williamson or Georgie Mihailovic, but instead he brought in Cardoso. So the question I'm having is, does he consider Cardoso a backup to Adams in the six, or does he consider him an eight? That's what I, you know, the last time he played for the U.S., he played as Adams backup at the six. But maybe it means that Greg will move Kellen Acosta further upfield and play him as an eight. Yeah, I, I don't know also, because he comes in for Yunus Musa. So technically, if you do you know, one for another, he's going to be seen as an eight. But we could also see Kelna Costa become an eight option and Johnny be the six because also against Bosnia, he started as the six. That's And that's where he played the whole game, right? Uh, so we'll see. Well, I don't know. I haven't asked Johnny also. I know they had their first training today. Maybe I can try to get a hold of him and figure out um, what Greg sees with him. Or maybe even Greg Berhalter doesn't know. And he's going to test him could out. You- I was just thinking, a lot of people don't watch the Brazilian League. Could you just give an update on how Johnny plays, what position he's playing for them, what are his key strengths and weakness, what should people be looking out for? So 
one strength right away is in the air. He's been good in the air. Uh, scored two goals um, off headers. Uh, he is good in combination play, but he's not like a 10, right? He's not a player that gets the ball and does incisive passing. He does the simple stuff. And if you combine with him, he's technical enough to combine play. Um, I, I don't think his defensive awareness has been good. And that's why Internacional even stopped playing him as a six, right? If you look at the games, he's been playing as a double pivot eight. And sometimes he's playing wide as almost like what almost seems like Weston for Juventus at times, right? Yeah. Weston plays sometimes as an eight, sometimes on a, as a right midfielder in a four, four, two. So I think that's how it put his role. Regardless, he's playing for Internacional, um, locked in starter now, good performances, got two goals and one assist in six games playing in the midfield. And they're in second place in the league, right? Well, now they're in third with a game to play, but if they win, they're in second, regardless, they're a top four team in the league. And yeah. he's turning 21 right now. And it's Brazil's so young. It's very young. And Brazil is people see Brazil and they think the league is very good for developing young players. The league is not good for developing young players. The academies are amazing. But Brazil as a development league, it's actually horrible. Young players don't get many minutes. The pressure from the fans is unreal. That's why a lot of Brazilians just go to Europe early and that's where they develop. The academies are amazing. But it's not a good development league. It's a very tough league for young players. It's more for veterans. So, again, uh, what he's doing is very good there. We need to see if he fits the Burhalter system, right? Some players just don't work well with that. But, again, strengths, good in the air, good on, on, on also combination play. Um, I would say he's not the fastest player, but not slow by any means. But you're not going to see him beat players off speed. It's more about that. He requires having good players around him. Right, he's not—he's not a Giovanni Rain or Pulisic that does one-on-one situations. Tim Weah, that's not him. But again, I guess you can say the same about Weston McKinney too, right? He doesn't really do things on his own. He needs players to create, get the crosses in. That's what we're going to see from Johnny. Um, and I personally would not play him at the six. Um, but there is a lot of evidence that points to Greg seeing him as a six. So we'll find that out very soon. Uh, and then the other ones are Palmer Brown. And Mark McKenzie. I'm not the biggest Mark McKenzie fan. Um, I used to like him a lot in Major League Soccer. Even when he went to Europe, I thought he had a better season than Walker Zimmerman that year, where Philadelphia Union, Philadelphia Union won the Supporters' Shield. But he's not been good the past few seasons. I haven't been able to watch him in Belgium this year. He is starting. They did sell their center back, and he became a starter. Some people are saying he's playing well, but I honestly I haven't watched one Genk game, so I don't really have an opinion on it. Um, I've watched a few of his games uh, for the Team of the Week series that I do. He's been fine, but he has the same problem as Tim Ream and John Brooks, if you ask me, is that when the ball's played in behind, he's very slow in recovery. So it's not that I don't understand why Greg called him up. If you consider who's injured, we didn't have a ton of options, right? We brought in Eric Palmer Brown and Mark McKenzie. Ream and Brooks were never going to be called in. I mean, we talked about Ream last week. If you're not calling in Brooks because of the high line, you can't call in Reed. I don't know how much McKenzie is going to play. He might just be there because of the injuries. Uh, I think this is a good opportunity for Eric Palmer Brown. The thing about Eric Palmer Brown is he plays in the middle of a back three for Trois. And on this last weekend, in fact, he does do this quite a few times. He steps into midfield and almost plays like a fake six. In fact, he had a shot that he missed, but he stepped into midfield, won the ball, and drove towards goal. And then he's not a great goal scorer with his feet, so he dragged the shot wide. 
but he's very good with his feet, Eric Palmer Brown. Sometimes he still switches off at times. For Trois, I've seen this. Uh, positioning can still improve, but he's up and down for them. He'll have a very good game and then like a so-so game where you know you expect better from him. But this is an opportunity for him now, or is it? Because very likely what this means is Zimmerman and Long are going to probably start both games, and then I think Eric Palmer Brown might get like 45 minutes in one of the games. Yeah, um, Palmer Brown is definitely a player to watch out for in this camp. We'll see if he gets minutes. Uh, but why don't we go to predict the starting 11? Because I think that's where we can talk about whether or not we expect them. I think many players will get minutes in this camp. But again, it's only 180 minutes that we have. It's only two games against Japan and Saudi Arabia. So I think Greg will prioritize what he sees in training and then what he wants to do in the World Cup. Because Apparently, we won't have another friendly in November before the World Cup. So this is the last big test, I guess, that he would probably be able to put out. Uh, can we assume that he's going to play on a 4-3-3? Yeah, that would... <laughs> there's no reason to believe otherwise. So, yeah, it's going to be a 4-3-3. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm down for it. Let's do the starting lineup. What we think, Greg, this is not what we would do. This is what we think Greg is going to do. Mm-hmm. Goalkeeper. Um going to be Matt Turner, right? And and to be honest, I feel like Matt Turner should just start both of these games. If he's going to be our number one at the World Cup, he needs game time and he's not getting enough, right? He already had his Europa League game postponed, his second one, so which is a bummer. Um, so he needs both of these games. We need a sharp Matt Turner going into the World Cup. So I would start him in both of these games. I think Greg will too. I don't think Ethan Horvath is going to get a look. Yeah, I agree with that. And then Sean Johnson also shouldn't get a look, uh, to be honest. And I, this is no bash on Johnson, but I even watched New York Red Bulls and in, in, in New York City FC over the weekend, and he got a clean sheet. But there was one or two moments of Sean Johnson. I was like, holy smokes, really? You can't play this guy off crosses. Dude, Sean Johnson has not been good. In the DC game, like two weeks ago, he was responsible for, for both goals. And then... In the following game, he was completely out of position on a back pass. I don't know what he was doing, and they scored an own goal because of him. So I don't really rate Sean Johnson. If you're going to bring him as the third keeper, I'm fine with that. But yeah, Matt Turner needs to play 180 minutes in this camp. Who do you think will be his two fullbacks, the right back and the left back? This is the big question. I think Sergio Des will start at right back because Greg knows he needs minutes, right? I think that like Matt Turner, the priority for Sergio Dest right now should be getting minutes. He hasn't played enough this season. He's, you know, had a very poor 45 minutes against uh, for AC Milan on the weekend, gave up a penalty to Napoli. Just even his first touch looks off. He looks very rusty. He looks like a guy who's not in the right headspace right now. I think he needs the minutes. So I think Dest will start at right back for De- I don't know about left back. It could be Vines or it could be Scally. I, I would not be surprised with either. I think the first game is going to go Vines. Um, and maybe we'll see Scali come off the bench. Because because Scali's not playing as a left back lately. right? Hasn't no, he's not. But I also think we need to find out, can Vines hang against World Cup level opposition, right? So I'd rather play Vines against Japan because they're a bit better than Saudi Arabia. And so if Vines can hang against Japan and looks comfortable and doesn't make mistakes, even if he's not going to be putting in crosses, bombing up the field, combining, if he just looks comfortable, if he looks like he belongs against Japan, then I'd be fine with him going to the World Cup as A-Rob's backup. Because that's the main thing is can you hang if you have to see the field? If he can't, then we still have questions. Yeah, so we'll do this. I think the prediction here is 
Des as right back and Vines as the left back, and then and then the center backs. And I think this one is almost unanimous. I think yeah. we're gonna go. I think Greg's gonna go with Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long. Yeah, there's yeah. no question, and I, I would be very surprised if anybody else goes. And I'm honestly not gonna talk much about this. We've already stated our opinion on Aaron Long and questioned a little bit Zimmerman's MLS form this season. One of the worst MLS seasons I've seen from him in recent history. And long is just long. There's no, it's just a broken disc at this point. We're just repeating yeah. ourselves. We've midfield. Said as much as we can say. Yeah. Midfield. I think this one is interesting. I think we're going to go with Adams at the six and McKinney and Aronson as the eights. Yeah. I think so too. I also wouldn't be surprised to see Acosta as an eight, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the most likely one is Adams, Aronson, and McKinney. Musa is out. I don't think Gio Reyna starts this game, even though I think he should. I think that they're going to be concerned about managing his minutes, which I understand. But the way I see it is Gio Reyna had six days of rest uh, between the last game and this one, right? He played two games for Dortmund in a week. So clearly they see him as being pretty much fit and they're just being careful with him. And I understand that. And I'm, I'm all for being careful with Gio, but I would probably, I wouldn't have him play 90 minutes in either game. I would probably give him 60 minutes against Japan, uh, have him start in midfield, because I do think we need to try one time to see Giorena in midfield. But we're talking about what Greg will do. I don't think Giorena is going to start either of these games. I think he'll get 30 minutes in each game, maybe 45 in one of them. Um, so yeah, I agree. Aronson, McKenney, and Adams seems most likely. Pulisic on the left. I don't think there's any questions about that. And on the right, because Tim Weah is out and Aronson's in the middle, I think we're going to see Paul Ariola. Yes, with Reyna uh, on like, I don't know, under surveillance somewhat, or just like they're being careful with his minutes, Aronson going to the middle with no Musa and Tim Weah injured, I think he might actually start Paul Ariola. It could happen. Yeah. The other scenario here is is maybe he puts Aronson on the right wing and then Acosta at the eight. So yeah. it kind of becomes like pick your poison. Um, so then there's no creativity in that midfield then. No. If you have Acosta and McKenney as the eights, that's a defensive midfield. Well, ideally what I would want him to do here, not trying to get into that too much because it's not what this episode's about, is you just put Aronson and Rain in the starting 11 and they can honestly alternate on the wing and eight. You can try both at both there and eventually sub off Reyna because you don't want him playing the full 90 yet. But I don't think that's what Greg will do. I think Greg will go with Ariola on the right, Pulisic on the left. I think Jesus will start as a center forward. Yeah, that is I agree. I think Jesus is Greg's number one in, in his mind. And I don't think that's going to change. Let's hope if Jesus gets chances against Japan, he finishes them. Because finishing has been the big problem for Jesus Ferreira. No, but he scores um, in Major League Soccer. So what are you saying, Pete? He's scoring. He also in misses League. in Major League Soccer. Like, honestly, I know he has 18 goals and good for him. He's having a very good season. But anybody who watches Dallas regularly, he also still misses like 1v1s with the keeper on a fairly regular basis. So I like Ferreira. Um, I personally don't think he's a nine. I've talked about this before. We both have. But let's hope whatever chances he gets, he can finish them because that's, I think, the big question mark that most fans have about Ferreira. What are some subs you think Greg will do in the second half? Like who do you think, let's say you're allowed, what, five subs? So Uh which five do you think are most likely to come on? Well, I think center forward, Pepe or Sargent will come in for yeah. his at some point. Um, 
another sub that I could see. Uh, I think one of the midfielders there, De La Torre or Cardoso, probably more more towards De La Torre. He needs minutes. And yeah. Johnny is probably the last option right now, right? Lucas is almost a lock, a, a roster lock based on his performance of the United States. So I would say probably De La Torre would be someone that would likely come in. I can Scally. see Scali at one yeah. point also being tested. I think those three would be the, the lock-in subs. And yeah. then everything I mean, else... Those three would come on. I think EPB might get minutes. Maybe. Maybe Pound Brown. Um, I don't know if he'll put in Tillman at some point. Yeah. Um, or even or Johnny Morris. at some point. Maybe Johnny Acosta. He... Acosta, um, Morris, Johnny, those are all possibilities. I think, I think three, Acosta will get minutes for sure. I don't think he won't play any minutes. I think the three locks are one center forward will come in, either Pepe or Sargent, uh, Luca Del Torre, and I would say Scali. I think those three will definitely come in. And then outside of that, it's anyone's guess, I guess, at this point. Yeah. Um, you, do you think he'll sub in like a Horvath or a Johnson for Turner at any point? Sub in, I doubt it, but maybe start in the second game. Yeah, it's possible he might give Johnson. I think Johnson is more likely to get the second game than Horvath. Yeah, I think that would be a waste if he subbed in a goalkeeper mid-game, right? He can come in, you waste the sub, and the goalkeeper might not even see the ball the whole game, depending on what's going on. Yeah. So it might not be worth doing that. But Pete, before we move on to the last topic, quick word from our sponsors of today's podcast. And the first one is DraftKings Sportsbook. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And now new customers can bet $5 on any NFL team to win $200 in free bets if they do. Okay, so what do you have to do right now is download DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet. So yeah, you can bet $5 and get $200. And that is DraftKings Sportsbook using the code TBPN. Thank you, DraftKings, for sponsoring this stream. And then the other one is a sponsor, Raycon Wireless Earbuds, which you can purchase them and listen to our podcast or, you know, your favorite podcast out there, whatever you listen to. Uh, Alexi Lala's maybe, I don't know, depends on what each one of you listen to, but Raycon everyday earbuds look, feels, and sound better every day. They also have eight hours of battery and playtime and a 32 hour battery life. It's no wonder Raycon everyday earbuds has older, has over 50,000 five-star reviews. So go to Raycon, that is R-A-Y-C-O-N.com, Raycon.com today and use the promo code tbpn15 that is tbpn15 to get 15% off your raycon order so that's the code tbpn15 the same one as DraftKings, but with the number 15 at the end at raycon.com that is r-a-y-c-o-n.com thank you DraftKings, and thank you raycon for sponsoring this podcast now and as always guys if you enjoy the tactical yanks podcast Go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a good uh, a good rating, a good five-star rating. Um, on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review. It really does help other people to find it, the more ratings and reviews we have. So if you want to help us out, that's an easy way for you to do that. And we appreciate everybody who's already left uh, great reviews for us. Yeah, and if you hate us, don't do a one-star review. Just, <laughs> just if you hate us, just stay at home. Stay yeah. at home. <laughs> just, just, just like write an angry tweet to us if you hate us. 
Yes. We're used to that. Tweet, tweet at, tweet angrily at us. That's fine. Yeah. Call us every single name on the book. We don't care. But yes. see, let me just add some context here so people can understand what happened with Vinicius Jr. in Spain uh, last week, right? Essentially, the whole, it was a bit of a xenophobic, racist case. And I also want to talk about um, the commentators of the games that I watch on ESPN and how this European culture is slowly killing, if not already killed, the Joga Bonito style that Brazil more specifically, but a lot of other South American countries go that route as well. We'll dive into that. But just to add context, what happened was last week on September 16th, which was Friday, I think. I think it was Friday or Thursday. Pedro Bravo, the president of Agents Association in Spain, said that Vinicius Jr. needed to respect his opponent and that if he was going to dance when he scored a goal, he should just go back to Brazil, to the Sambodromo, which is where we have the carnival in Brazil, where we do the samba, and he should stop doing the monkey, okay? Which, right away, people called him out for racism and xenophobia, right? Xenophobia is quite clear right there. Racism, they're arguing, at least people from Spain, that it's not racist because doing the monkey in Spain means to fool around. Well, here's my question to you, Pete. Um, Griezmann from Atletico Madrid is doing Fortnite dances, Michael Jackson dances, and they never told him to stop doing the monkey. Why? I don't understand the concern about a player's celebration. Like, let him celebrate however he wants. Like, I don't understand this. Every player has their own unique celebration. They do what they want. And dancing is a beautiful celebration, and it's part of his culture. Brazilians are very, like, musical culture, right? They dance. They love, like, we what have is a, the issue? Pete, we have a martial art named capoeira, right? Yeah. Which is literally a dance. It's a martial art, right? So you look at it, it's like kicking, moving around, but, but it's a dance. There's music. And, and again, Brazil's soccer culture is really, we obviously love winning, and Brazil has won a lot, but the Brazilian soccer culture is not all about winning. When players go there, they want to put a smile on the fan's face. They want to play with joy. They want to yes. do a fancy dribble. They want to score and do a, a crazy celebration, a dance, a flip, something that brings joy to the fans. That's Brazilian soccer culture, right? We might not always win, but we always want to put on a show. And I think the best example of that was Ronaldinho. Even when they wouldn't win, people are like, oh, this guy's just like, he puts a smile on my face. And, and he always played with a smile. That's what I love always play with a smile he was smiling too. while he was beating players, you know? Yeah, and that's what Brazilian soccer culture is about. And again, essentially, these comments from Pedro Bravo were bashing that. And at the same time he bashes that, he tells a Brazilian player that he should just go back to Brazil. That brings a lot of go back to your country vibes. And then he says he needs to stop doing the monkey. And again, if you're from Spain... And you're saying doing the monkey just means full around. Let's go to the second problem that that drove over the weekend, right? Because you shouldn't in any connotation here. No context matters. You shouldn't really refer to a black player, African-American player. You don't want to refer to them as monkeys. It doesn't matter. You don't do it, okay? No. Yeah. So, it doesn't matter what you mean or you context. It doesn't yeah, matter. If you it use doesn't the word matter. monkey and, and then, black player what, in the same. Because, and, and I'll tell you why, uh, this is what it led to over the weekend. Because of this moron on TV, and I'm going to call him a moron or, or racist, if you want to call it, or xenophobic, whatever you want to call him is fair at this point. Because of that, the Atletico Madrid fans, before the game, 
right, of Real Madrid and Atletico. And and I, I tweeted this. It wasn't one fan. It wasn't two fans. It wasn't four. It wasn't like a small group. It was hundreds or th even thousands of Atletico Madrid fans calling Vinicius Jr., straight up calling him a monkey. They weren't saying he's doing the monkey. They were just straight up calling him a monkey before the game. And it, again, it wasn't an isolated group. It wasn't five or four morons or clowns or trolls. It wasn't a fake account on Twitter. It was hundreds and thousands of fans. And the reason they were doing that was 100% because of that idiot on TV a couple of days before. Um, so whether or not doing the monkey means to fool around, don't say it. Um, and, and again, and then I don't want to dive into that anymore. I don't think many people share different opinions about what shouldn't be said. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. because Well, I, want I just to... want to add, like, the problem is stuff like this keeps happening because UEFA and FIFA are so slow to punish players for well, it. They don't, they're not slow. They ignore it a lot of the time. They just ignore it. They pretend it doesn't exist. If you really are serious about kicking racism out of the game, you need to have the harshest possible penalties for any kind of racism whether it's your fans or play, whoever it is, like I would almost be in favor of a points deduction for Atletico Madrid for that because their fans were the ones doing it. Yeah. Also, don't forget, not so long ago, um, they threw a banana at Dani Alves a couple of years ago. Remember that? Yeah. And then he ate the banana as a joke. But again, uh, if you don't put a limit to it, it gets progressively worse. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy because... God forbid, right? If that happens in America, the whole freaking world will be talking for three months about our problems, which we do have our problems, yeah. right? Not important for this top podcast. We do have our problems, but it seems like when it's here, it's over amplified. And then when it happens in Europe, it's like, oh no, he just meant fooling around, right? That's all he meant. He he didn't yeah. mean it that way. Um, it's not like he just told a Brazilian player to go back to his country just because he dances. Oh my God, the guy danced when he scored a goal, right? Um, Cristiano Ronaldo is allowed to have whatever celebration he wants, right? He can do yeah. that. Oh, the Brazilian danced. Oh no. And then I think it was Coque also from Atletico Madrid that said that things were going to get wild if Vinicius danced after he scored. Um, why doesn't he tell that to Griezmann? Tell Griezmann to stop dancing. Oh, okay, but Griezmann doesn't also score as much as Vinicius nowadays. There's that. <laughs> but Let me ask you, what is disrespectful about dancing? I'm just trying to understand. Like why? This is a goal celebration. We're not even talking about him megging players on the field. It should also be fine. If you yeah. want to do whatever you want to do, do it. Why is there this thing about your celebration? There should be no question. Everybody should be able to do whatever celebration they want, so long as obviously it's not you know, okay, yeah, racist or homophobic or whatever. Everybody has their own. Let him dance. That's his culture. I don't understand. It makes no sense to me. It's like saying Sargent shouldn't salute after he scores a goal. Why? Because yeah, he, he's like doing something for the U.S. military. It's like, oh, <laughs> he's representing He's representing years of oppression of the U.S. military. He can't oh do that. Oh, my God. Like, it's so stupid to me. I don't yeah, understand why there's any questions about what a player, how they celebrate. What's the difference between dancing and doing a backflip? I don't, what's the difference? Well, what's the difference of like dancing and Cristiano Ronaldo jumping and doing his C celebration? Yeah. What's the difference? Or the bow and arrow set, whatever. Everybody has their own thing. Like, it's so weird to me that they try to, again, it's trying to fit players into a mold, right? It's almost like what you see in like youth soccer in America sometimes, where they want respectful, quiet players who never show their personality, who don't have anything to say, who aren't arrogant or brash or outspoken. 
And it's like, it's so weird to me that that's even a discussion. Well, we saw that with Gio Reyna over the weekend. He The yeah. angry Gio was back, right? He was like complaining with teammates, showing his emotions, being emotional, um, which I saw that and I was like, I'm fine with that. That's a player that has personality, right? He's not that quiet player. Like sometimes Pulisic being too quiet for Chelsea and timid bothers me more than Reyna showing some, some you know, some fire during yeah. the game. And some American fans were bothered by it. It's like, oh, he needs to be more respect. No, he doesn't. He has to be exactly the way he is. And yeah. that is Giovanni Reyna. And if he's arrogant and if he yells at his teammates and they still respect him, that's fine. That is also, fine. again, I, I talked about this a little bit on the Team of the Week video, but there's a difference between being frustrated in the moment and sulking. Like what Kylian Mbappe did a couple of weeks back. Oh, he yeah. didn't get the pass he wanted, so he just gave up on the play and threw his hands up in the air. Now that's different. That's sulking and that's terrible. Gio Reyna doesn't do that. He'll show his frustration in the moment. And to be honest, it wasn't just that he didn't get passes. He had both Mukoko and Bellingham take shots away from him. He was about to score and they stepped in front of him and took shots. And I don't think they did it on purpose, right? In the flow of the game, you're just trying to get on the end of the ball. It happens. And he was frustrated because he wants to score. He wants to assist. He, he believes in himself. You know, Reggie Cannon once said in an interview that Gio Reyna might be the most arrogant player he's ever played with. And I'm just like, good. He's arrogant because he's so full of self-belief. He knows he's probably, and I, I don't even think I'm being hyperbolic here. He might be one of the best attackers on Dortmund right now. He, well, he hasn't had a chance to show it because of his injuries. But you see a fully healthy Gio Reyna. I think he's a top three attacker. For we him. also get confused at times with arrogance and confidence. He knows how good he is at times. Yeah, sure. You can think it's arrogance, but maybe he knows how good he is. And that comes with frustration. You know who else is probably considered arrogant? Cristiano Ronaldo. Probably Zlatan. Zlatan. So what? Holland. At times he is arrogant too. Yeah. Um, many players. I guess Neymar. Neymar for sure. Um, I guess Messi might be one of the like legends that doesn't really show it. Yeah, um, but besides that, players are arrogant. Romadio was one of the most disgustingly arrogant players of all time. Didn't matter. Won the World Cup here in the United States. Was key player for Barcelona. One of the best Brazilian players of all time. It doesn't matter. Um, also, the teammates from Dortmund don't really seem bothered by it. No. So maybe we should shut up about that. Because um, even his play on the field, he's very unselfish. Like you watch this game against Schalke on the weekend. He's almost always making the right pass, quickly laying it off, trying to combine, moving again. He's not like a head down. I'm just going to go dribble and ignore my teammates. He's very much a team player in terms of how he plays on the field. Yeah. It, it also comes down to like this whole culture of like, when you're in a soccer field, you need to be respectful. And you need, like, I, I even talked about this because I was watching the Real Madrid game and Vinicius tried a rainbow flick when the game, I think it was 2-0. It was before Atletico scored. And then the commentator went right away and said, he like, they like laughed and they were cool about it. But eventually like, yeah, I wouldn't do that in my day or I wouldn't do that because you need to respect the opponent. It's like, why is doing a rainbow flick portrayed as not respecting the opponent? It's a trick that you can use to try to blow by your opponent. Vinicius has done in the past. It didn't work this time. Why is it any different from a nutmeg or just trying to dribble past someone? Look, there's. they need to stop this because it's what I was saying. It's like they keep saying the Joga Bonito is dead. And the reason it's dead is because Europeans have this mentality for decades 
and all our players are going abroad, the Brazilians, the South Americans, and they keep shoving that in their heads like, oh, you can't do this trick because you're not respecting the opponent. It's like, no, do this trick. Make the game enjoyable. And if you blow by your opponent that trick, wonderful. If it's not working, then stop doing it. Not because of respect, but just stop doing it because it's not working. Anything is fair game as long as it's within the rules of soccer. Stop the disrespect nonsense at this point. It's a game of skill. Who should decide what skills you should be allowed to do on the field and which ones you shouldn't? Like if you meg somebody and go around them, okay? Some people say that's disrespectful, although many people are fine with that now, so long as it's effective. If anything, his teammates might be like, do the most effective thing. But the opponent, I don't think the opponent should care, right? If you can pull off a piece of skill, soccer is a game of skill. We want to see skilled, creative, talented players. But this mentality of it's disrespectful to pull off this piece of skill. Oh, but this piece of skill is okay. Is it disrespectful to a goalkeeper to shoot from 30 yards? Are you insinuating that he's not a good goalkeeper? No, nobody ever says is that. Is a Paneka disrespectful? Is it, exactly. What about a scorpion kick? What about a volley? Like, I just don't understand why some skills are considered fine and some are considered disrespectful. You can argue the effectiveness of a skill, but if you pull it off, why not? Like, fans love to see skill players. That's the thing that draws an ole or a gas from the crowd. And then we wonder why we're not producing enough world-class strikers in the global game. If you look at it right now, who are the best strikers in the world? Benzema, Lewandowski. I guess I don't want to say Ronaldo because he's not really a pure nine. Um, but, Harry Kane. you know, sorry. Harry Kane. Um, yeah, Harry Kane. These guys are all in the 30s range. If you look at the young guys coming up, a lot of countries have a problem where they don't have a pure nine or a, go- a really good goal scoring nine. Holland is kind of the exception to this rule. Why is that? Maybe it's because we're trying to, and this can kind of go into the Jogo Bonito is dead thing. We're trying to fit footballers into a frame of what we think a footballer should look like. We get them into academies at really young ages, so they don't have that street, you know, soccer culture. And, you know, we want them to do the right things, to make the right decisions, but we kill creativity. We kill um, personality. We kill guys who believe in themselves and want to do something different, to try something. It's like they said about Clint Dempsey the first time they saw him play for new england he tries shit you know that's what we want to see with soccer players it's not always going to come off but when it does it's beautiful maybe the reason we're killing nines at the high level and why jogo bonito is dead is that we're trying to turn soccer players into robots that are pieces of a machine instead of a human being with personality and ideas and creativity well, Jogo Bonito for Brazil started to die the moment we started to sell our players to Europe, which started more more in the 90s. Once Brazil yeah. started to send many players to Europe, um, it slowly started to die. However, this current Brazilian generation, somewhat, you see flashes of it now, right? Um, yeah. Neymar's still there. Antony is a player that's very much like the old school Brazilian um, flashy Vinicius, Rodrigo, Rafinha. So maybe... Um, and some people are going to think I'm just being biased because I want Brazil to win the World Cup. But maybe for the sake of the enjoyment of the game, Brazil winning this World Cup could bring a little bit back of those vibes, um, get some countries to enjoy that a little bit. Maybe Brazil playing some free, free-flowing soccer, um, Joga Bonito could maybe motivate some other countries like, hey, let's replicate that, right? Which was, at one point, Brazil was the country that many 
nations looked up to is like, hey, I want to be that, like play that style. It's beautiful. But then we switched lately going to more of that German Gegenpress transition game like France did. And maybe maybe if Brazil wins, it'll be better just for soccer in general um, rather than this like modern day soccer, which sure, it's effective, wins trophies. But it's not always about that. It's like I said, in Brazilian culture, it's not always about winning. It's about enjoy putting a show. And if you go back, I talked about this, how one of the most beloved Brazilian national teams of all time in Brazil, it's the one with Zico. I think it was in 1986 or 82 where they lost um, the World Cup to Italy of Paulo Rossi. And they even they lost it in Saria. I think it was the World Cup in Spain. But that team, even though they lost, is one of the most beloved ones of all time because they say they played such beautiful soccer that it's always remembered. And I think nowadays we care too much about results and we're happy with a team that just beats each other 1-0-1-0-1-0-1-0-1-0 and gets it done and takes away a bit the enjoyment of the game. So they need to cut that crap. Players want to try rainbow flicks, want to try nutmegs, do it. If it works, it works. I don't care. They say that Wayne Rooney was the last uh, English street footballer, um, and he was, right? Wayne Rooney wasn't developed in an academy. He didn't join Everton until he was 13, and he talks about in his biography, most of his days were spent playing soccer with his friends from you know on the field, and then when his friends were called home for dinner, he would take a wall, uh, like a ball, and he would just hammer it against a concrete wall in the streets for two hours. Whack it, control. Whack it, control. He learned to play on the streets. He wasn't in an academy where he was told, make this run at this moment. When you receive it in the channel, lay it off and then run again. But nowadays, I think what's killing, I don't think it's killing soccer. That's very extreme. But it's killing creativity in soccer is that players get into academies. Like Manchester City has a U5 team. I'm serious. They have an under five team. And they're getting coached. It's almost like indoctrination at this point. Yeah. And, and, and I remember watching this documentary and I was watching a training session and these players were playing pass and move, pass and move at four years old. And yeah, learning to pass the ball is great. But I was like, why are you telling a four-year-old to pass and move? Let him play. Let him try to beat a player. If he wants to dribble the whole team, let him try it. He'll develop skill that way. And I'm worried that he'll also there learn that you be anomaly, that. Of course. He'll learn that you have to pass. He'll learn that. Yeah. They'll learn. You can learn to pass at older ages, right? it's it's individual ball skill against opponents that's most important when you're that young and also it brings players joy when they can you know uh beat players on the dribble pull off a trick and be successful it makes them more likely to stay in the game because they're having fun and they're finding success if you want to create robots that can thrive in a system sure you'll have a great system but you'll kill the creativity of the game yeah, it's going to be fun when 20 years from now, soccer games are just like a bunch of robot players, just like passing the ball one to another, moving around, pressing and tracking back and winning games 1-0. It's going to be lots of fun when it becomes that because we're going on that trajectory slowly. But P, is there anything else we're talking about today or should we wrap things up here? Yeah, I think we can wrap it up, guys. Uh, Revelations Cup is also this week. We should just mention that. Mm-hmm. We're going to cover Revelations Cup the same way we do the U.S. Game on Wednesday, right? Against Peru? Wednesday, we play Peru. Peru or Paraguay? I think it was Peru, but I could be wrong. One of the P's. <laughs> it's one of the P's. Either Peru or Paraguay, we play on Wednesday. Obviously, uh, Friday morning, right? We have the Japan game. Uh-huh. And then Sunday, again, we play Mexico, the under-20s. Yeah. Right? So, Saturday. Saturday. 
So they're going to hear a lot from us this week on YouTube. I also have a special vlog coming out on Saturday, which I, you know what it is already, but I'm not going to reveal it here. Everyone can wait. Um, but that's it. Everyone, thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to drop a review. If you made it this far in the podcast, you might as well. You listen to us for 40 minutes. Thank you for listening and see you guys next time.